we are starting a brand new uh, series today that we have entitled Radical Togetherness. Um, but I want to give you some background and hopefully help you to catch the, the why behind the what. What I'm wanting to address is probably the single most practical burden that I have for, for people that want to follow Jesus, for people that don't want to follow Jesus, uh, for people that are in our church, for people that are outside of our church. I think that the most pain is caused for people, the most bruising, the most hurting comes through relationships on one level or another. Whether, whether it is a parent that might have abandoned or deserted you, or you grew up with an incredibly high level of conditional love, so you always had to perform and produce, or whether, whether you've, you've been betrayed at work, or maybe you've been backstabbed and gossiped about at school, or maybe someone has spread rumors. Relationships matter. I do recognize that, that for many people, because of past traumas, because of past pain and challenges, we can learn to build walls, we can learn to put protective measures in place, and, and, and in some cases, those are healthy and appropriate. What I think we need to be very careful of, though, is that we manage the tension between guarding our hearts and hardening our hearts. And that's something I've often had to pray about when it comes to relationships that have involved a lot of manipulation and, and an abuse of boundaries and that kind of thing, where I've had to say, God, I, I'm, help me to guard my heart without hardening my heart. Another part of the burden is that I have seen way too many times over the years, walk, working with families, walking with couples, and I don't want you to miss this, that it is absolutely possible to be reading your Bible, praying, going to life groups, serving on a team, giving your money, attending church. So, so for all intents and purposes, on the outside, a person would think, hey, this person's you know, following God. They, they're, they've been a Christian for 20 years. They're, they're, they're so mature. And yet I've seen in so many cases where the relational Lack of health, the ill health, the toxicity, the, the, the refusal to, to address conflict and to address it in a constructive way, the, the, the willingness to do the hard work of, of growing through insecurities and, and trauma responses and all kinds of stuff, that determination just hasn't been there. And so I've seen couples where, where I feel sick to my stomach with the level of pain so, so this is a compassionate statement. This isn't a judgment statement. This is a compassionate statement. I, I, have, I have walked away feeling sick to my stomach with the level of pain involved in, in, in marriages, for example. And where I'm thinking, these people have been involved in church for 20, 30 years in some cases. It's, it's the kind of experience that leaves me walking away saying, Lord, I mean, my first question is, what have we done? If I'm just being very honest with you. My, my first question is, how, how, how is this person in our church? How are these people in our church? And there's so much toxicity. There's, there, there is so, so little maturity in how to address this stuff. Then, you know, God's gracious, and I, and I kind of realized that there are things that people have to obviously apply and adapt for themselves. And so besides the burden for people, which is massive, my, the application for me, the challenge for me, is God, help us to make it as hard as possible for people to stay in our church and to still be hurting one another, 
to, to still be handling conflict, uh, greed, adultery, uh, manipulation. I want to make it as hard as possible for people to stay in our church long term and to, and to not change in some of those areas. I don't mean hard, like, like this isn't, we can't make you, this isn't a judgment thing. I'm saying I want to, I want to, I want to express as clearly as possible a biblical worldview towards the life-giving relationships that God wants us to have. And by the way, if it's God, it's life-giving. He wants relationships to be blessed. He wants marriages to be blessed. He wants relationships between children and parents to be blessed. Now, that does take two people. If your parent's not willing and you're the child, there's only so much that you can do. He wants the relationship between parents and children to be blessed. Again, there's a lot more that you can do as a parent when your kids are young compared to as a teenager and compared to as a young adult and compared to when they're out of the house. But, but it's just it's recognizing God's vision and doing what we can. And it's not just in families. It's also in the family. God actually has a vision, a value system for vibrant healthy, rigorous relationships within the church of Jesus Christ and between churches. So it's not only your church, in our small C church, no, no, the capital C church, where, where there's enough emotional health, there's enough self-awareness, there's enough, there's enough humility, because it takes an enormous amount of humility to, to, be, to be challenged or to be critiqued or, or to realize, oh, I've got some work to do, and we all have work to do. Don't look at the person you came with. We've all got work to do. We want to make it hard. We, we're going to be running courses next year to try and make it hard to stay the same. But the reality is, in my experience, it's generally speaking the people that are already on a somewhat healthy trajectory that are the ones that land up doing the extra work. It's often the people that are already not, not sold on this is worth the effort that often won't put the extra effort in. And so I'm just telling you, it's our prayer. It is our burden that, that, that we grow in our relationships, that we grow in our emotional capacity to, to do conflict well, to forgive well, to know the difference between forgiveness and trust and reconciliation, for us to know how to have life-giving, honest conversations while doing that with a sense of humility so that we're not actually breaking somebody with our rightness. But guys, come on, man. If we are following Jesus, we should, there should be evidence that we are growing in our capacity. We're still going to make mistakes. But again, if there's humility, we're going to, say, we're going to own the mistakes. We're going, to, we're, going to, we're going to model. So as a parent, when our kids are young, like we, we would have modeled owning our temper or owning our stuff early on. And we would apologize. We would teach. We own our stuff when... We lose our temper, or we're, or we're having a, a tantrum, or we're being selfish, or whatever the case is. Guys, it matters that our relationships are developing. Let me put it this way. If the way we spend time with God does not change the way we spend time with people, we have to change the way we spend time with God. If the way we spend time with God is not actually bearing fruit in changing in the way that we spend time with people, we are loving them more. There is more self-control, more kindness, more gentleness, more peace, more honest conversations, more perseverance. If it's not changing the way we spend time with people, there's something that has to be changed in our time with God because the, the single most important evidence 
of God actually being the Lord of my life and leading me and influencing me is going to be how I treat other people. Right? In other words, I don't think that God is terribly bothered with how much of the Bible we know or can explain or have memorized if it doesn't translate into obedience, if it doesn't get applied in in working through messes, working through pain, working through, now, now, now that's the ideal. What, what I'm going to be painting for you is a, is a picture of the ideal. I want to acknowledge 100% that that's in a perfect world. Like there is a vision. There is a whole bunch that works against us in actually getting to that vision. You may have a godly vision for your marriage. Maybe all that you get out of this is realizing, okay, there's a lot of work for me to do in order to actually help achieve that vision, God's vision for my marriage, or to, or to help me achieve God's vision for parenting, or God's vision for friendships, or God's vision for, for dating. Because there is a way to date that leads to incredible pain and, and scarring and, and bruising, and then there's a way to date that can lead to life, and it's constructive. So this does involve work. I wish as I'm sure many of us do, that we could just say, God, please uh, take my sins, come into my life, lead me, change me, and then like, poof. You know, like, like in those movies where it's like, it's like, there's just this like puff of smoke. It's like, boom, like you're this whole new person. I wish, Sue wished, okay? It would, it would be amazing if, if I could just be. But it takes work. And the truth is, for every single one of us, whatever your age, every one of us will put the effort in. Every one of us will pay a price when it's something that we value. We just will. And if we're honest with ourselves, some of us just... See, even this is a good starting point, just being honest. You know what? I value my career more than my relationships. I'm gonna, I'm, I'm, I'd rather pay the price, yeah. I've, I've got limited resources. I've only got so much energy, so much time. So, so let me just at least be honest and say, you know what? I, I, you're not worth it. I'm, I'm wanting to put, I'm wanting to pay the price here. Or, or you know what, I mean, I like you. I wish we could make this all work perfectly. But, but, but just so you know, I value my hobby more than you. Because I'm willing to put, put way more of a price. I'm willing to give way more time, way more energy, way more creativity into this hobby or my friends. Can you imagine what would happen if we were just honest with ourselves? Is this sounding hectic? A little bit, hey? I don't mean it to be like, I don't mean it to be like heavy. I just feel like, I just feel like if we could just see, if we could just see what matters and see that is worth the price. The right relationship, and you can't do this with everybody, but there are relationships that are, that we need to pay the price. It's worth the price. No two perfect people will ever get married. No, two, no, no parent or single parent or, or, or two parents will ever be able to perfectly parent their child. Trust me, our, our kids wish that was the case. Like, it, it doesn't happen. There is so much imperfection. There is so much that we keep growing through and working through because we've all got our own stuff. But it is worth the price. And not just in a familial context. Interpersonally. We need one another. We need one another. That's why we were talking about radical togetherness. Part of that is in a natural family. But, but yours might be in a family where, where, the, where you can only be radically together on certain levels because actually they don't share what's most important in terms of your value system, and that's a relationship with God. And so there are places where we need to 
strengthen those relationships. I want to take a look at, at a couple of very practical uh, areas to, to reflect on or to measure as we strengthen relationships. And, and I want you to try and apply your mind in two different ways. The one is when you are looking at somebody else. So this is a relationship that I'm going to put a lot of weight onto. Is it trustworthy? And I want you to try and consider personally, as we look at these indicators, is, is this true in me? Is this present in my own life? Am I showing these signs of trustworthiness? Because without trust, no relationship is going to go far. Anyone ever had their trust broken? Okay, who watched the rugby last night? Who didn't watch the rugby last night? Who's willing to put their left hand up? Who's unwilling to put their left hand up? Okay, this isn't working. I just want you to participate. Have you ever had your trust broken? Some of you have had trust broken on the deepest levels. Deepest, where there's been, where there's been murder, where there's been fraud, where it's been adultery, where it's been a parent that, that has just completely abandoned you, and then and then everything else is relative in the sense of a friend that has disappointed you or let you down, a church that might have let you down. And by the way, just so you know, when it comes to forgiving, it's seldom an organization; it's generally a person or people. It's hard to forgive an organization. You generally need to actually work it down to this person, this person, and this person let me down or betrayed me or abused me or whatever. We've, we've all experienced on some level or another a breakdown in trust. And so it is radical that God still wants us to actually build trust with certain people. But maybe this will help set you free. This is very important. If you write nothing else down, maybe write this down. Forgiveness is free. No one can earn it. No one can pay it off. Forgiveness is not about someone begging, pleading, paying off a penance. I mean, that might help in terms of reconciliation, but there's nothing that the other person can do that, that is dependent. Our forgiveness is not dependent on the other person. Forgiveness is something that we do actually for our own sake in the sense of we're letting go of the grudge. We're letting go of that fantasy of revenge. We're letting go of this hope that somehow they're going to suffer and, and pay their debt. The Bible says we actually release that to God, who is the righteous judge. Forgiveness is free. They cannot earn it. But trust, yeah, it's like, it's expensive. Trust costs a lot. Trust has to be earned. If anyone ever tells you, oh, just trust me, they clearly don't understand trust. If someone has hurt you, betrayed you, abused you, done anything to you, like to break trust, and, and, and tries to convince you that you're a Christian, so you should forgive them, and so we should reconcile, they don't have a biblical worldview. Forgiveness is free. That's a one-player game. Reconciliation requires two people that have, that have caused harm to resolve in order to reconcile. That person has to actually show evidence of, I know I hurt you. I care. I'm really sorry. I'm going to show you that has changed. And trust, that takes, that's like a whole nother level. And the deeper the trust, the higher the cost should be. You should not just trust anybody just so much. People should be earning trust. So 
Here are a couple of essentials of trust according to Dr. Henry Cloud. He's written a great book, very practical, very helpful. We'll, we'll actually take a look probably in a couple of weeks at how to rebuild trust. So I'm going to tell you now already, if you're listening to some of the stuff and thinking, failed, 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 I'm doomed. I want to tell you right now, be encouraged or at least have hope and come back. Because there, there is hope. There is a way to rebuild trust. But again, it costs and there is evidence attached. So the first pillar of trust is understanding. According to Henry Cloud, who's probably the most significant Christian psychologist that I know of in the Western world. The first pillar of trust is understanding, where a person actually feels understood by you. In other words, I'm not in a rush to tell you what I think. I'm not in a rush to tell you what's right and wrong. I'm actually, I actually care about understanding what you're feeling or what got you here. Perhaps the most extreme example would be a hostage negotiator. They don't go into a hostage negotiation, you know, ringing. Someone answers, who's this? What do you want? Hey, Joe, we know it's you. You're an idiot. Let me tell you why holding these people hostage is a bad idea. That, thing would, that, that conversation would close down immediately, right? A hostage negotiator, I mean, we've all seen this on TV, starts off with, tell me your name. What, what, what got us here? He's wanting to understand why, this, why it matters to this person to do what they're doing. They're trying to build a genuine rapport, and, and, and some kind of bridge so that they can... Now, now, in that case, it might be manipulative because it's a hostage negotiation story, but how, how important is it in relationships? Whether it's a friendship, whether it is a, a marital relationship, whether it is a relationship with your kids, that, that you just fight the temptation to just run ahead and you actually ask some really important questions. What, what is going on? Why? Help me understand that a little bit better. There is something deep within all of us that wants to be understood. We want to be treated a certain way, which is why the golden rule is to treat others the way we want to be treated. St. Francis of Assisi said, grant that I may not so much seek to be understood as to understand. We want to understand, to be understood, so let's, let's do that for the other person. And again, th this has limitations in terms of relationships. But where it's an important relationship, I'm telling you that it matters if we will slow down enough. In fact, the Bible tells us to be slow to speak and quick to listen. Imagine if, imagine if we were twice as committed to listening and understanding as what we are to speaking and convincing. If I'm just listening in order to give me some, some, some time to buffer my, my brilliant response, that I can offer a cutting rebuttal to this person's you know, ex expression, and I'm just waiting for them to take a breath so that I can interrupt and tell them where they're wrong and why they're wrong? Do you think that's gonna help build a trustworthy, meaningful relationship? No. Proverbs 18, 12 says, haughtiness goes before destruction. In other words, pride, pride goes before the fall. Humility precedes honor. So, so if we wanna have an honorable relationship, it's gonna take humility. Spouting off before listening to the facts is both shameful and foolish. Let's listen. And this can be applied for you as a leader, as an employer, as a friend. Uh, in a, even, I think, that, I think it can be done even respectfully, respectfully, 
with a child to a parent, possibly. I know that not, that not all parents would be open to even this, but, but, but if respectfully you're saying, mom or dad, please, I'm not disagreeing. I just want to understand. Maybe, maybe there's, now again, I don't know your family. You might still get clapped. I don't know. Uh, sincerely, you, you know that. I, I'm not telling you that that's the model. I'm just saying, where possible, show humility and a desire to understand. Number two is motive. So, so if, if one of the first keys to building trust is understanding, I'm actually really wanting to, I care. I care about what's going on. The second would be motive. So, so it's one thing for someone to sound like they care. It's another thing when you realize that the motive behind that caring is a selfish personal motive. You know, like telemarketers, they don't care about you. Salespeople, they don't care about you. Generally speaking, I mean, I mean, some might. If you're a salesperson, I'm hoping that you care about some people. But, but, but it's okay. Like, like, we know. We know, right, that we, this is a transactional thing. You're going to try and sell what you need to sell. Like, like that's okay. So, so we know that at least the motive's clear. At least the motive's clear. But having said that, I do believe that it's possible to do business in a way that you do actually care about people. As, as a Christian, we should be salt and light wherever we are. So even if your ultimate accountability to the company is, is a, a bottom line, why can't we still actually care about the human being that you're interacting with? As a teacher, is the agenda, is the motive, I got duped, I thought this would be fun 20 years ago, boy was I wrong, and now it's just a paycheck, that, that motive is going to leak out with your kids. Or, or is there a commitment to, God, I want your perspective. God, I want to see these kids through your eyes. God, help me to love these children. Help me to love the families that they represent. It's that, it's that old cliche of no one cares how much you know until they know how much you care. The motive matters. If you're a parent and you're strict and hard and, and, and cracking the whip on your kids to perform and to do their homework and to, and to brush their teeth, make sure their clothes are, you know, are clean, that their hair is brushed, and that they're looking, going out presentable and that they are representing you well. There's, there's a lot of truth in that. There's a lot of that that's fine. But only you know, and, and eventually your kids, by the way, if that is about them or if that is about you. Are you, are you trying to impress people through your kids? Is that an identity issue to you, how your kids look? Or, or, or is your commitment and love for them greater than that, beyond that? Well, you know what? If people, if people see your imperfections, if people, like where you might have to even allow them to fail a little bit so that they actually develop the muscles of a teenager, a young adult, etc. A parent whose motive is their own identity and impressing people can destroy their children. Motive matters. Motive matters. Number three, ability. Ability might sound obvious, or you might be so, so warm and fuzzy that you're like, hey, as long as they understand and, and you know, the, the motive is right, like we can, we can do anything together. But think about cases where you actually need ability. You might love your doctor. We, we love our doctor. Our, our, our GP is an amazing guy. We should get commission as to how many people we've sent him. 
wonderful guy. He ticks all the boxes, 10 out of 10 as far as understanding. Like he wants to understand. He's not, he's not quick to prescribe. He, 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 he looks at us holistically, which is why he's always telling me to take a sabbatical. He, 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 wants to, he wants to understand and help us become healthy, not just quickly medicate the symptom, etc. Understanding, amazing. Motive, wonderful. I really do think for the most part he cares. Sure, the paycheck doesn't hurt, but I think for the most part, he really does care. Now, as far as ability goes, he has the ability to treat us amazingly up until a certain point. If he says to me, Jason, you need to have a sinus, a pretty serious and, and, and invasive sinus operation. I'm like, I'm with you. I'm with you. Okay. I trust this guy. He understands. He, he, he cares. He's got the right motive. And then the next thing, he like, he like kind of rubs his hands together saying, I can't wait. I've wanted to do one of these since I was in med school. <laughs> I've never gotten to operate on someone's sinuses before. This is going to be fun. How many of you know you're going to pause? Not because you don't like him, not because he doesn't have understanding, not because he's, I mean, okay, his motive might, might be a little bit skewed at this point, but, but it's because it doesn't match his ability. You know that he hasn't specialized as an ear, nose, and throat specialist for the, for, the, for the many, many years that it takes to be able to do that. There's a limit to his ability. Now think about this. How many friends have gone into business together because they really liked each other? They had a lot of fun fishing or partying or whatever the case is. And so, hey, let's, let's, we think, we think we'd be amazing. Imagine, imagine if we can transfer our weekends into our week and we can do business together. And again, there might be understanding. There might be the correct motive. But you suddenly and quickly discover if there's ability. And maybe this person is warm and, and charismatic and, and great with people, but, but actually you need them to be able to keep the books in order and to keep the company legal and to keep you afloat. And he can't or she can't. It is not disrespectful to say, if you, I, I trust you here and here. I don't know. You haven't earned my trust yet here. If you've been in the church for a while, there may be, I hope, some areas that you would trust me in. You definitely should not trust me to repair your car or to build your house. The first time, that was my wife, the first time, the first time that I, that, that I try to put oil into the car, I try to pour it in where the dipstick comes out, okay? Just so you know, that's not where it's meant to go. I, I'm just not that guy. I mean, I know where it goes now and I can change the tire and this, but if there's... I tell the mechanic, don't ask me to tell you what's wrong. I need you to tell me what's wrong. Like, I don't know. It's not working. Building a house? I wouldn't have the first clue. Like, genuinely. So don't trust me in those areas. That'd be foolish. That'd be naive to say, I like Jason. I think he's a pretty good guy. I mean, he's, I mean, he's been around for a long time. You know what? I'm going to trust him to, to build me a house. That would be very foolish. Ability matters. Now, let's take it a step further. You're considering getting married. I remember this statement many years ago, before we were even married, where the pastor said, many couples go into marriage with their eyes half closed, and then once they've crossed that line, their eyes become wide open, and they're like, oh. As opposed to doing it the other way around, where you actually want to approach marriage with your eyes wide open, and then you go into marriage with your eyes half closed. Because, because you're going to have to forgive stuff, Right? You, there's stuff that you're going to have to, you know, figure out, compromise on, etc. So let me ask you this: When you're considering courting someone, 
getting engaged, getting married, etc. Of course you want chemistry. I'm assuming you're attracted to the person. If you're not attracted to them, like, bless them and, and you know, like, move on. Um, this is going to, I mean, this is obvious. It should be at least, right? There, there might be stuff about their personality that you love. If you're a Christian, the single most important thing that you should first be evaluating is whether or not God is central in their lives. Not, yeah, oh, they go to church. I've got to tell you, I have to take a breath when someone tells me that they've started dating someone, and 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 one of my first questions would be, like, do they love Jesus? Type of thing. Yeah, I think he goes to church. I'm like, take my earrings off. You know, it's like, I, it's, I, no, okay. that sounds like, just okay. That's not aggression. That is a burden. Nobody knows what they're going to go through in marriage. Nobody knows what loss, what trials, what challenges. Nobody. So if your core foundation is not the same, how on earth are you going to navigate financial stress, trying to make decisions about your children, trying to make decisions about do we, do we chase after, you know, do we move around the world just, just for a career thing? Does God even factor into this? Do you know how much Stress is placed on a relationship when only one person is actually trying, like, like really cares, not for like an opinion's sake, like they care what God's opinion is. So that's just a given. That's a given. Okay. Rant over. Now, I think that it's also wise to ask, does this person have the ability to be married? Are they employable? Can they keep a job? Can they manage their finances reasonably well? We're not talking about perfection. Don't anyone panic. Can they cope with stress? How do they handle conflict? In, in other words, we, these are all abilities. This is not heart. I don't know what heart means. Heart's like, I feel stuff. That's great. But your feeling isn't going to pay the electricity bill at the end of the month. Your feeling isn't going to help get your kids to school. So, so is there an ability to manage your life beyond yourself? Can you handle conflict? Can you handle stress? Can you persevere? I think it's important that, that we actually ask these questions. Like I'm just imagining a whole bunch of you coming to your office saying, I've just dumped my boyfriend or girlfriend and, and we're looking for, and you, we, we don't have a, a singles ministry to replace them. So, you know. But in all seriousness, I would far rather someone have to make that difficult decision three months before the wedding than, I'm just telling you, I've seen the pain. I've seen, I've seen way more pain than what you or I should see. In the eyes of spouses that have endured 20, 15, 20, 30, 35 years of marriage, where Somewhere along the line, it just gets too much. They've tried, in their mind, they've tried everything. And I'm like, I don't want it to be easy to be in our church and to not, 
Like I want to force, if I have to like force feed a bit, I want to force feed equipping. I want to force feed communication and, and, and honesty and transparency and vulnerability and, and grace and patience and peace and forgiveness. But guys, I'm just telling you that, that if you're choosing to marry somebody, there are some important abilities that I think we should be checking out. I can pretty much guarantee that if you have a healthy parent, even if they're not going to overstep and even if they're not going to get involved, they're going to care as to whether or not this person has the ability to actually grow with another person where they're committing. It's one thing to date. It's another thing when you wake up next to that person day in and day out for the rest of your life. One, one couple in the church, he, he often jokes. He'll tell his wife, hey, if I'd committed murder, I'd be out already. Like, like this is longer than a life sentence. He loves her. He loves her. He's just, he's just being playful. What he's saying is like, 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 like this, is, this is longer than a prison, like a life-term prison sentence. He loves his wife. He's being playful. But he's true. But he's right. Like this thing we're actually committing for the rest of our lives. All right. Let me, let me, let me hurry up and wrap up. There are some extra quotes in the notes if you guys want to take a look at that. Number four is character. All I want to say about this is that it's not just character in the sense of integrity, in the sense of I don't lie, I don't cheat, and I don't steal. Like, that should not be the bar. If that's the bar, you need to be looking for new friends, or you need to be looking for new, no. It just, just so you know, anything I'm saying about marriage, that's for people that are not married yet. This, I'm not giving advice to people that are married in that context. Like, you don't get to, anyway. So when we talk about character, it's more than that. It's our personhood. It's our EQ. It's our soft skills. I would imagine all of us know what it's like to deal with a teacher or to deal with a boss or to deal with an employee where, where like they're, they're right, but it just feels, ugh. It just feels like, like there's just no empathy, no compassion, no, no ability to, to, to understand what this is doing to people, where they just keep demanding that you work longer and longer hours and travel more and more and, and, and what that does to you and, and a young family, for example. You know, it's, Harvard University argue that EQ is at least twice as important as IQ. So you could have the, you could have the intelligence, but if you don't have the people skills, the soft skills, the, the emotional intelligence to, to empathize and to be able to journey with people, it is going to be an enormous challenge. So it's, it's way more than just, I don't lie, I don't kill, I don't steal, I don't cheat. It's, can you persevere? Is there a level of kindness or is it only ever aggression? Are you actually able to love people well? Is there self-control? Am I, am I always losing my temper? Am I always you know, leading towards, towards the most destructive thing first? Now, now, in case you're thinking, Jason, that sounds quite hard, you'd be right. There are times where having to take emotions into account and having to take people into account is a lot harder than just getting the job done. Erwin, who's on our executive team, on our staff, will tell you that being a criminal defense attorney, so he defended all kinds of people. A couple of colleagues were killed. He was kidnapped. He's like, Jason, ministry's way harder. Because it's people and it's emotions and you're trying to, and you're trying to navigate this with EQ. It's easy to just clap it as far as toss. Anyway, last number five is track record. Track record. For us to build trust, 
we owe people a track record. And if you're going to put significant trust in someone else, they owe you a track record. Proverbs 25, 19 says, putting confidence in an unreliable person in times of trouble is like chewing with a broken tooth or walking on a lame foot. Again, Henry Cloud in his book says, what someone has done before is usually the best indicator of what will happen next time. And I mean, that's just true. Unless something changes, nothing's going to change. So if this person has a pattern, expect that to be the pattern unless there's evidence of them doing something to change the pattern, which is why trust cannot be given only on a promise. We can promise the world to people, but there, we actually need a track record. Trust is not simply given, it is earned. And, and just so you know, this is not about perfection. Pro, having the occasional problem, that's one thing. When it's a pattern, that's a different story. Think of perhaps perhaps this is nowhere more clear than in an addiction scenario. I, I have someone that I that I that I was talking with years ago. I love this person, care for this person. I have enormous empathy for this person. But this person had battled a drug addiction for many many years, in and out of prison, in and in and out of rehab, on and off the streets, and and at the and at this particular moment was sober. It wasn't for long. It might have been for like a month or two. I'm not sure. But his track record was. Hectic. In other words, it wasn't just like a blip on the screen. And he met a girl who he liked a lot. She was studying law, very, very much planted in a church. And he was like, Jason, like, she's amazing. He, he wanted to pursue her. Um, I think he had a bit, of a, a bit of a hesitation as to whether or not her parents would be happy with him. And so this is maybe the, the conversation in the context. And I just said to him, honestly, honestly, I think the kind of girl you're talking about isn't going to be or shouldn't want to be with someone with your current track record. Now, that might sound harsh. In my opinion, that's me loving this person well. I explained to him how I think he owes her, I didn't, I didn't use the word track record at the time. I think I, I, think I, I, think I used the word CV, like, like, like you owe this person a CV. I'm not saying never, but I'm saying if you've been, if you've been clean for a month and the previous like since you were 13, all you've ever known is drugs, rehab, and, and prison, and living on the street. Surely, if you want to be the kind of person that the kind of person you want to be with wants to be with, then you're going to need to develop some history. It doesn't mean never, but it does mean not now. It means that you're going to show fruit in keeping with repentance. Repentance just means I'm changing direction. Okay, so this is how I've, every time I've gotten stressed out, I've relapsed. Every time, every time I've gotten into this situation, I've done that. Okay, I'm going to have to show that I'm developing the muscles that's not going to do the same thing again, so that, so that I'm not saying to the person, don't hold my past against me. I'm saying to them, you need to take my past into account, but take a look at, what, at who, I'm, at who I, I am becoming over the last three years. That's different. It's a track record. For us to place enormous trust in someone, and again, like I think marriage is pretty, pretty significant. Partnering with a friend, pretty significant. Is there a track record? Is there a track record? Proverbs 27, 12 says, a prudent person foresees danger and takes precautions. The simpleton goes blindly on 
and suffers the consequences. These are just five traits that I think we need to reflect on first and foremost ourselves. I really hope you haven't been assessing the person you came to church with as the first thing. We need to, we need to review this stuff ourselves. Am I, am I someone that is willing to understand? Are my motives selfish or do I actually care about the other person? Um, do I have the ability, like if I were them, would I be asking them to bet on me? With, with, with my current level of ability in this particular area. Do I have a track record? Have, is there evidence that I've been growing in character? That I'm not just impressive on paper, but that I, but that I can actually interact with people. I can, I, care, I, I can care more deeply. There is a level of empathy. There's a level of character in the sense of self-control. I don't lose my temper every, every, like every other moment when something gets, gets triggered. Now, again, just so you know, there will be things in all of this that, that all of us would still be working on. But I think you can be trustworthy if you're working on it. If you're excusing it, then I'd say that's not showing trustworthiness. If you're aware of that thing, that shows character, that shows EQ, and you are trying to work on it. You're trying to adjust your life so that you're not as prickly, so that you're not as irritable, so that you're not as inclined to losing your temper. Make sense? Now, I'm going to pray for us in a moment. I do want to acknowledge that the moment we start thinking about trust and where it's been broken and where it's been hurt, where there's been betrayal, I, even just this week as, I, as I've just been giving some extra thought to this, I, I, can't, I, can't, ex, I can't sufficiently express the burden that I have for what I know would be enormous numbers of people that have not just had like minor like blips on the radar. I mean, there's been deep, deep breakdown of trust. It could be in a marriage. It could be, it could be in, a, in a parent-child relationship. It could be in a child-parent relationship where your child is stolen from you and you did everything you could for them. You've given everything you can to them. I know of brothers that have, def- I mean, like where one brother's defrauded, defrauded another brother. I know of one guy that, that has defrauded the family business where he was well compensated but defrauded them nonetheless with his father involved, his brother involved. I know of, another, I know of, I know of other people personally where, where the wife defrauded and stole from the husband to the tune of millions. By the way, in, in some of these cases, like in this case with the husband and wife, they actually worked through it. I, I want to say that to say there is hope, but it's not cheap. It doesn't come easy. But the point I'm trying to make is people have been hurt. You, you very likely have experienced pain. And I think that it is deeply tempting to just say, hey man, I can connect enough on social media and series and, 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 and just do, do what I need to do at work and I'll come and sit at church. Just don't anyone really talk to me. Like I, I, I'll, stay, I'll stay close, but I will never trust again. I, I get that. That is completely understandable. And you'd be right to be cautious and skeptical in, in just offering trust to just anybody. But I do want to suggest that we have an enemy who also has an agenda and where, and where somebody hurt you legitimately, I think his agenda is to take that 
and multiplied and amplified and to isolate you, to keep you from ever experiencing some of the unity and community that, that God might actually want you to experience. I wish I could guarantee you that your trust will never be broken again. I wish I could tell you that you'll never be mistreated again. I wish I could tell you that you'll never be disappointed. I wish I could tell you that Christians, you know, as long as they're a Christian, they'll never hurt you. That's just not the case. We're human beings. And so we need wisdom. We need to be appropriately guarded. But let's not build this hard wall that goes so high that we're never willing to go on a slow journey of rebuilding trust.